Oh, sorry about that. Way to start the morning, right? Are you awake now? Hey, good morning. Y'all looking pretty good. You're all looking pretty good. Got that uh, first uh, spring Saturday yard workout in, did you? How many of you are sore this morning? A little bit, uh, got work the rest off of the winter time. Well, my name is uh, Brian Klein. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's good to see so many of you here with us this morning. Please take the time. I know that we always want to rush from church and just get to uh, our meet, you know, lunch or whatever our plans, but man, if I could just encourage you to take the time and check out the open house that Storehouse has. Just go down the hallway here to, to your, uh, when you leave here, it'll be to, to your left, and uh, go and check out uh, the Storehouse. That would be awesome. It'd be awesome for you to do that. Two roads. Two roads. Every day, we have a choice of which road we're going to take. Every day. Every moment in that day, we have a choice. When I say these letters, D-T-R, what comes to your mind? D-T-R. What comes to your mind? Some of you have the same look on your face that I had when I first heard the word. I've had a conversation with someone, and we had, it was based on the DTR. And I was like, okay, DTR. And so I had to Google it to find out what it was. Google knows everything, right? And DTR basically means this, define the relationship. Define the relationship. In fact, when I looked it up on Google, it even had a definition of what that was. And the definition said this, the definition says it is used in conversation, in chat, and in texting that implies a pivotal point in a relationship and when one person wants an answer from the other about their level of commitment in the relationship. DTR. So now in your marriage, you can say, honey, we need to have a DTR conversation. It's a point of narrowing down what that relationship is about. It can happen in dating hey, I need to find out where are we in this relationship. It can happen in the workplace. Hey, I want to just check out, are you really fully committed to what we want to accomplish here in the workplace? I need to find out, where's your level of commitment here? It can happen in your marriage, where all of a sudden you can say that you're feeling kind of left in the dust because one of, the, of you are busy, involved in so many other things, that you have to stop and say, oh, wait a minute, I need to know where you are. 
I need to know, are you with me or not? Matthew 10, 38 and 39, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. And it implies a pivotal point. It implies a clear-cutting statement to the disciples that basically says this, I need to define the relationship. That I want to make clear of what it means to follow me. In Matthew 10, 38 and 39, Jesus says this, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a pretty clear defining of the relationship, is it not? And then he qualifies it a little more with a follow-up statement, and he says, whoever finds their life will lose it. In other words, if you go on and you say, you know what, I'm just going to discover life on my own. He says, yeah, actually what's going to happen is you're going to go into the consumer mentality of life, and it's going to suck life right out of you. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose your purpose. You're going to lose why you are here. You're going to lose the grander purpose of your existence. You're going to lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Well, that's a great statement. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. But what I want to do is I want to just take you real briefly to understand what's all happening in the context of that conversation. Have you ever stopped, walked into a conversation and you heard the last bit of the conversation and you come up with a conclusion about what that person said and you had no idea that what was happening beforehand and you were totally off base. So Matthew chapter 10, we're not going to read it, but I just want to give you just a real brief synopsis of what is happening in Matthew chapter 10. So if you take your Bibles and you open them up and if you kind of split it and then go toward the right a little bit, the first book of the Bible is Matthew. In Matthew chapter 10, and a lot of times in our Bibles there will be headings, kind of give you a brief little caption of what this chapter or this section is going to be about. In Matthew chapter 10, it says this. It says, Jesus sends out the 12. And then the whole chapter is about that. So if you can give me a little liberty here, I want to just kind of bring it up to kind of what I would consider this must have looked like. Jesus is in the locker room with his 12 players. Championship game, first game of the season for them. And he says, I'm going to send you out. But let's, see, let's, let's sit down and talk about our game strategy. And throughout the chapter, he talks about this is what you're going to do. This is what you're not going to do. This is what you're going to encounter. And this is how you're going to handle the encounter. This is, going to, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have some calls against you that you're going to feel like were unjust calls. In fact, you might be even kicked out and arrested. Now, this is how you need to handle that. 
And Jesus is sitting down with his team, okay, in the locker room, on the whiteboard, all the goals, all, all the strategies of what he wants to accomplish. And, and he goes through all this. In fact, he even says, listen, listen, team, I want you to know this. I'm call, you're going to go out like sheep among wolves. Whew. Man, are you ready to go out now? Right? I mean, really, seriously. I mean, that's like the major underdog statement. That's kind of like the coach has really got a lot of confidence. We're like sheep. The opponent's like wolves. We're going to be eaten up alive. But he says, be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. And he gives them a game plan. But then at the tail end, Matthew 10, 38, 39, it's like he kind of pulls the guys together. He says, guys, it's time to rally up. It's time to come together, man. Come together. And he starts looking each of them in the eye. And he says this. He pulls them together and he says, he, says he defines the relationship with his team. He says, men, whoever on this team does not play with complete sacrifice and follow the plan is not worthy to be played out on the team. I just want you to know that. It's not about you as the individual. It's about our game plan. It's about what I put in place. You play for your glory. You get out on the court and you try to get all the stats for yourself. I'll tell you what will happen. You may have stats, but you're going to end up losing in the end. Because you're not playing for yourself. You're playing for something greater than yourself. And he looks each of those men in the eye before he sends them out. And he says to them, now let's go and take the world back for the kingdom of God. And he sends the 12 out. Now if you look at that statement that Jesus says, the cross is pivotal in the relationship. Because he says, whoever does not take up the cross, their cross, and follow me, is not worthy of me. So the cross is the center key, isn't it? Is it not? The cross is what it's about. And so the cross is pivotal in defining, defining the trajectory of the direction of your life. You either take up the cross and you'll find a life greater than yourself, or you take and ignore the cross, and you'll be consumed with self, and you'll end up with nothing to offer. You know, we don't really have a strong reaction to the cross today. It sits on top of a steeple. It looms large in front of our churches, here in our auditorium and in the venue we have the cross before us it's, it's polished it's sanded down it's looks so pristine and so beautiful we wear it as jewelry we put it on bumper stickers and decals on our cars if you're an athlete you put the cross on your tennis shoe or 
on your, under your eyes, on your face, or on athletic tape. We may wear the cross, but do we bear the cross? Do we live the cross? There's a quote by William Platcher that says this, and I think it's a very, very powerful quote. It says, we don't think about the meaning of the cross because we, we want to call ourselves Christians while avoiding the thought that the implications of our faith might threaten our comfort. Think about that. Just look at that last part. While avoiding the thought that the implications of our faith might threaten our comfort. When we think of having to bear the cross, when we think of having to take up our cross for the cause of Christ, it means that we might lose our comfort. It may, we may lose the comfort of maybe what we would do with our finances, huh? Or maybe you may lose the comfort of what you had planned for the day. And all of a sudden, an interruption comes. Something intersects into your life and it messes up your day and you get all grumpy and crabby because you aren't accomplishing what you thought you wanted to accomplish that day. How do I use my time? Or will it interrupt my plans? Can I just say something personally from a guy that's grown up in Nebraska most of his life? Just, just a little chat with you here. He said, we're known as Nebraska nice, aren't we? We're known as the Midwest, the, the good people. In fact, used to be called the good life. Still is. But you know, as I, as I think about this, one of the things that God has wrecked my heart, really kind of shown me in my heart, is that I could really rest on a lot of my goodness without sacrificing anything greater than that. I'm a pretty good guy. I live in a pretty good place. Do I really pivot to take up the cross? Do I really sacrifice myself? Do I come to church for the benefits? Do I come to church for the music? Do I come to church to hear a good message? Do I come to church to feel good? If I could feel good, it was a good time at the church. But what about that person next to you? Maybe that person next to you just needed a little love. But we're so caught up in just receiving the benefits that we're not sacrificing our own agenda of why we're here to think about maybe loving on a brother or sister in Christ and taking a little bit of time and not jetting out of here and running for my next thing I want to accomplish today and just spending time and putting our arm around brother and sister and just praying for them and loving on them. And laying aside yourself. I've always said I'd love to be able to not have to assign greeters in our church. Because we should just be all excited to see each other. We shouldn't have to have anybody feel alone. But think about that as we journey through that. Just a little chat from my heart to yours. A little Midwestern chat to think about. Yes, we're good. But Jesus says, if you're resting on your own goodness, have you really, what have you sacrificed? Now, let, 
Let's get into this a little bit. If you look at Jesus' pivotal statement here in Matthew, I want to sh- show you five things that, that Jesus talks about in this verse. The very first word is what? Whoever. Who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Whoever. He's not qualifying. That means I'm included in that statement as much as you. Whoever. Whoever does not take up whose cross? Their cross. Your cross. It's not Jesus' cross. It's your cross. So the very first thing that we need to recognize when we're talking about taking up our cross is that it is personal to you. It is personal to you. We all fall under the whoever. It is your cross, not someone else's. It is yours. It's personal to you. God has something he wants to do through you, in you, and to others. It's your cross. And you can't compare crosses. Whoever does not take up their cross. And notice the next word. Whoever does not what? Take. It means it's intentional. It's intentional. It's personal. It's your cross. It's my cross. But it's also intentional. It's not something that's just plopped on you. It's something that you choose to take. Oh, I hear a lot of people say, well, this is the cross I must bear. It's the cross I must bear. You know, my husband, I just can't get him to quit snoring on at night, so it's the cross I must bear. Or my kids just seem, don't seem to listen to me. I don't know what else to do, so it must be the cross I must bear. It's not laid on you as a burden. It is something that you intentionally choose to take. It's a choice that you intentionally make. You take it. You grab it, you do something with this cross. You go forward facing and knowing the challenges in the situation. So it's personal, it's intentional. You've got to take it up. But it's also a valued opportunity. Because Jesus says, does not take up their cross. That word up means this, to take to a higher place a higher intensity of activity, to take it another notch up. You know, we have a tendency just to kind of live in the status quo. Whatever is comfortable in that environment, we don't want to make a scene, do we? Now, we may be nudged to say, you know what, you maybe need to speak up or maybe you need to go take care of that person that's in need right there, and you see the need, but you're afraid to make a scene, so you don't do it. You don't take it up another notch because you're self-conscious about yourself. And so you don't take up the cross. You don't see the value of loving someone else that's out there that needs the love, that needs the care. And not only is it that, but it's owning the price. Owning the price. Notice it says you've got to take up your cross 
and you got to follow me. You own the price. You believe it so much you're willing to pay the sacrifice to see it happen. It will cost you to take it up because the outcome is greater and bigger than yourself. It's going to cost you not thinking about yourself. I've always, I tell the men at Forge, we've got to get over ourselves. Get over yourself. Our call in this world is not about ourselves. It's about a different kingdom we're living for. And Jesus is calling his disciples. They're going out and they're going to do the ministry. And he's saying, listen, you're going to need to sacrifice yourself. You're going to need to take up the cross. You're going to be falsely accused. You're going to go through all these things. And it's going to be costly. It's going to cost you a price. And then the last part of it is this. You've got to trust in the outcome. Trust in the outcome. Trust in Christ's leading. Trust in the fact that Christ is leading in this and you're following. So you're pay, take, picking up the cross and you're sacrificing self and you're being obedient to Jesus and what you feel like God's call on you is. It's your cross. You're going to serve with your cross, but it's going to be difficult, and it's going to cost you, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard. And now you're just going to keep following Jesus because if you follow someone, that means they're ahead of you, right? And if they're ahead of you, they've already been there. And Jesus will get you through the difficulties of the narrow road to experience the greatness that's on the other side. That's way bigger than yourself. Way bigger than yourself. Let me give you an example of this. You know, I've always said this. Jesus never asks of you and I of something that he isn't willing to do himself. So let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. But in Matthew 26, verse 39, there's this moment. Jesus has the cross before him. But at this moment where all of a sudden he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's on his knees. And he's begging and he's, he's crying out to God because there's a battle going on inside Jesus. His humanity and his divinity is in conflict at this point. And, and it's like he's at a crossroads. And he says, Father, oh, Father, if this cup, if this cup right now, if you could just take this cup from me, if you could just take this cup from me, Father, I, it's so much. And the flesh was just crying out, I don't want to go through the suffering of what I have to go through. I don't want to go through the pain. of That was his flesh talking. But then... There's this pivotal, this pivot that Jesus does in his prayer. And the pivot is the word yet. And he says, yet, not my will, but Father, your will be done. Yet, the power in the pivot. It's, an, it's, a, it's a basketball move, is it not? 
It's an offensive move. The power of the pivot. And you're standing there. And the direction you pivot would determine the trajectory of how you're going to go forward in your life. If you go this way, it's the way of the world. You're going to go the way of the world. You're going to do it your way. I don't want to have to go the narrow way. But if you pivot and you go the other way, then the pivot is the narrow road. And Jesus is at the crossroad at that point in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he finally came to that point and said, yet not my will, but your will be done. It's the power of the pivot where Jesus walks up and he picks up the cross. At that point, in his own will, in his own spirit, in his own soul, in his own mind, he made the pivot to say, God, I'm going to follow you, and I know it's going to be narrow, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, but God, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to follow your will. And he picks up that cross. He takes it. Upon himself. And that cross that he took up was the cross of sacrificial love. A love for those that weren't deserving of love. A love being displayed that it says in Romans 5.8, he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were haters of God, while we were mocking and spitting and, and cursing for him to be crucified, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going I'm to show my love. And God shows his love at the cross. He demonstrates his love for us because Jesus was willing to take it up for you and for me. He's willing to take it up for the brokenness and the mess of my own life. You know, sometimes I just can't get out of my own, out of my own way, of my own messes. I just keep messing up, but Jesus says, I took care of that at the cross. I took it up for you. At the cross, he took it up. And at the cross where the thief said, Remember me in paradise. This rebel, this breaker of the law. And Jesus turns to him while on the cross. Reconciles a relationship with a man that was a breaker of the law. And says, son, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was the cross of reconciliation that occurred that very moment. And when Jesus took up the cross, he took it to a whole nother level of reconciliation, did he not? Did he not do that for you and for me? That he took up the cross to reconcile in a way that could never ever be reconciled ever before. At the cross where Jesus was hanging on the cross and they were saying, you know what, he could... He could save sinners. He could raise the dead of others. And he said he was going to raise himself from the temple, but he can't even come down from the cross. And Jesus, he could save others, but he can't save himself. And I'm telling you, if that was me on the cross, I would be like, boom, I'm off the cross. I'm going to show you. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He stays on the cross. And he says these very words of all the mocking and all the slandering 
and all the accusations and all the stuff that people were jeering at Jesus while he was on the cross. He had the power and capacity to come down from that cross. Those nails weren't holding him. Those nails weren't holding him. He was on there on purpose. He took it up on purpose for himself, for you and for me and for God's will. And he stayed on that cross and he took it up another notch and he said this, Father, forgive them. God, will you forgive them? For they know not what they do. They don't even realize what they're saying. Father, forgive them. He took it up another notch. He took it up to a greater level of forgiveness. And then he's at the cross. And that cross where he is in total despair and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that moment of the cross where all of a sudden he felt alone and he felt God wasn't around and that he was, he was feeling forsaken. There's going to be those times when you take up the cross and you're going to feel all alone and you're going to maybe feel that God isn't there with you while you're journeying, carrying your cross. And Jesus says, I know that feeling. Listen, brother, keep following. Keep following. Push through the forsaken, that, that, that God's left you behind. I know how that feels. I know. I know. I took it up. I know exactly what you're going through. But keep coming forward. Keep following me. Keep following me. Come on. You could do it. I know you feel forsaken. I know you feel like it's hard. But just keep coming. Just keep coming. Because something greater is coming down the road. Something greater is going to be there if you just stick with it. And Jesus does. And Jesus says, I thirst. And there's going to be times that you're going to be taking up the cross and you're going to thirst for something just to give you a little bit of relief, just to give yourself a physical relief. Just to, and, and they're going to put, the, the world's going to put that sponge to your mouth and you're going to go, no, that's not it. Oh, it's pivotal. Listen, church, we're at the corner, the crossroads. It's personal. It's personal. In each and every moment of every day, we have the opportunity to pivot and go the world's way and turn our back on the cross. Or we pivot and do it God's way, and we walk over, and we take it up. My cross. And I choose to follow Jesus. And I continue to say, it's personal to me. It's intentional because you have a call in my life. It's, it's valued because there's something greater that's going to happen when I die to myself for the betterment of someone else. And I'm going to own the price. That means I've got to give up myself. I got to die to myself for the betterment of someone else. I got to own the price and then I got to trust. As Jesus beckons me and says, Keep following me with the cross. Come on. Come on. You could do it. Just one more step. Keep following me with your cross. Just keep following because something greater is going to be down the road. You're going to experience something greater happening in your life. That's 
sadly, many of us lay down our cross. And we say, you know what, I, I just want to step over the cross. I don't want to deal with that. I just want the comforts of the world. Rather step into the cross and to carry it. I have a little short video of a USC player that demonstrated what it was like to take up the cross. To take up the cross and suffer the pain of it. And then the outcome of trusting God down the road for what he did. Watch this. See, when you die to yourself, you may not know what the end result is right away. It may be years down the road. We all have an opportunity. We stand here every day. We stand here, and our cross is before us. It's a power of the pivot. God has taught me this. This has been, this been a life change. It's a transformation of my heart and my mind. It's a simple move. My circumstances don't change, but how I view them changes because I'm looking to Jesus or I'm looking to the world. I'm either looking to Jesus or I'm looking to the world. There's power in the pivot. I'm either stepping over the cross or I'm stepping toward the cross. And following him. Classic illustration of this is this. God's been teaching me this. And I, Thursday morning I had a schedule of things for my day. One of the things I was wanting to do is get my hair cut. They had a special. Get one cut. Get them all cut for the price of one. And I wanted to take advantage of it. But I had a busy schedule that day. And I wanted to be right when they opened up at cost cutters. They opened up at 9 o'clock, and I drove up, and I parked right in front of the door. And I was waiting for him to unlock the door. And I'm just sitting there waiting. And I look to my left, and a dad and his son come walking down the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, he just better walk on by. <laughs> but he doesn't. And they walk, and they stand in front of the door. And the lady unlocks the door, and they're the first ones in. And it just irritated me 
inside like none other. I waited 15 minutes. I was there 15 minutes. I was the first one there. And God said to me, Brian, listen. It's those little things that you take up the cross for. If you can't pivot good on the little things, how well are you going to pivot in the big things? How well are you going to pick up the cross in the big things if you don't know how to pivot well in the little things and lay yourself aside? Well, we all do it. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you didn't get very good service? And you say to yourself, because you didn't get your soda on time, your meal wasn't on time, you required a certain performance level, and when the bill came, you have a pivotal decision to make. I'm not going to tip the person well because I didn't receive good service. Or I could say, I'm going to pivot on this one. And even though I didn't get something great, I'm going to do something great instead. Because that's what Jesus did. See, it's the pivot of the heart. It's the pivot of your mind. It's the pivot of your will. We're at the crossroads every day. And Jesus said, take up the cross. Take up your cross and follow me and you'll be worthy of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Man, God, thank you that you demonstrated. You showed us what it means to take up the cross. Today we come right now. I don't know where everybody is this morning, but today we come before this, this, this table of remembrance Jesus, I pray that we will remember, we'll remember what you went through physically. We'll remember what you gave on our behalf so we could have something greater than what we ever deserved, and that is fellowship with you. That we allow you into our brokenness and into our messes, and you take the brokenness and message and make something beautiful out of it when we take up the cross and let you in and then we carry the cross following you. So we take this table, these elements, as a symbol of representation of what you've done for me and for each one here that knows Jesus personally. That when we hold that bread, we will remember that it represents your body, that represents the flesh that was saying, I don't want to go through this, but you went through it anyway. Because you love me. And you love everyone here. And you gave of your blood, which the cup represents, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Today, we want to remember you and your demonstration of the cross. In Christ's name we pray, amen.